You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. Hey, uh, I don't know um, how many of you in this room would respond to my question if I was to ask you to raise your hand and acknowledge the fact that you know God. Uh, I, I, no, you don't have to do it because uh, uh, you know there's a fair bit of peer pressure in a room like this. To oh, I know God. Uh, you kind of everyone would say yes, I know God, even. I guess if you didn't, I guess there's a, a better question than do you know God. The better question is how do you know you know God? Because um, here's the thing, here's the thing. It's possible to behave like you know God, to do the Christian things of serving and giving and, and, uh, and being kind to one another and still not know God. It's possible to speak like you know God. You know, you can use the Christian ease, you know, the, the, the vernacular of the church, I suppose, and, uh, and still not know God. In fact, you can even believe right and not know God. You can believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Um, you can believe that there is one God in heaven, creator of heaven and earth. And you can believe what we would in a church like this define as correct doctrine and still not know God. You can think you know God. Um, you can be sucked into the belief that, yes, I have a relationship with God, I know God, and still not know God. And you say, why do you say that? Because many will come on a day and say, Lord, Lord, do we not do things in your name? You'll say, I don't know you. You can think you know God and still not know God. That's why I said, don't put your hand up, because uh, in a room like this, we kind of all like to think we know God, I guess. Uh, most of us, anyway. If you want me to go really deep here, and I'm going to dig a hole, you can pastor a church and not know God. (laughs) Wow. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Phew, you got too big, too too excited about that one. Uh, So, how do you know? Like, like you might be full of a a question here this morning. I'm not sure if there is a God. I don't really believe in God. I'm going to show you this morning how... To meet God, number one. Number two, if you're not sure where you are with God, you, you know, you believe there's a God, you pray, uh, you give, you serve, you do the Christian things, but maybe there's a little uncertainty, maybe you're not 100% sure that you've met God. We're about to drop into a story that's a, it's a, a profound story, it's an intriguing story, I hope you uh, journey with me along each verse. And we're going to see the wisdom from this ancient piece of literature on how to meet and how to know God. There can be, I believe, a clear and definite answer to this. Um, We're going to pick up the story in the book of Genesis chapter 32 and verse 22. It says this, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Now that's not a Star Wars character, that's a river. <laughs> um, and uh, get a bit of the backstory. When Jacob was a younger man, Jacob uh, was at war with his brother. In fact, Jacob was at war with Esau, they were twins, while they were in the mother's womb. Uh, I mean, the, the, the record is that they were, the mother had a whole bunch of disquiet going on inside of her. And even when the children were born, 
The one who came out first, Esau, had Jacob hanging onto his heel. It's like these two boys were born to fight and they fought that there was sibling, intense sibling rivalry the whole time. And Esau, who was the firstborn under the, uh, the ancient rites of the time, he was the one to get the father's blessing. Well, uh, Jacob deceived his father in his father's elderly years. His sight was dim. And he said that he was Esau and he got his brother's blessing from his father, much to as you could appreciate, his brother's disgust. Became a little bit later, came to light what had happened. And uh, the father decided, Isaac decided, that's the way God wanted and he didn't reverse the blessing. Well, this got Esau so offside that Esau decided, when dad is dead, so is my brother. I don't know how many of you have ever been that cranky with your brother that you thought, I'm going to kill him. But there's possibly one or two in the place. But that's how angry he was. And he was serious. When my dad dies, I'm going to go after Jacob and kill him. Well, the father's dead. And Jacob is taken off. He's, he's gone, left his homeland, his tribal homeland, his place of blessing, his place of birthright. And he's gone to a foreign nation where he's been deceived and he's deceived and all kinds of things have gone on till finally he's had enough and he's coming back. And this Jabbok River that he just, we just read he crossed, this is like the border. He's going back to see Esau. He's going back to see the one who wants to kill him. And the question is, will he survive? Will Jacob be killed by the brother of whom birthright he stole? Or will he be able to kind of make it up with him? He had separated his 11 sons and two wives and all his his livestock, etc., into groups. That was a survival technique. Because if the Esau and his army, Esau had a small little army by now, Esau's army took out one group, then the other group could flee. So the reason he did that was because he was expecting fights, he was expecting a war, and he didn't want to lose all of his children, all of his wives and all of his uh, possessions, so he, he separated them off. And it says in verse 23, it says, after he'd sent them across the stream, that's the Jabbok, he sent over all his possessions, right? This is a, I don't want to lose everything. It says, Jacob was left alone. Now, this is really key to our, uh, our point this morning. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, Jacob was expecting to wrestle with a man. He was expecting to wrestle with Esau. As it turns out, it wasn't Esau he was wrestling with. As it turns out, he was wrestling with God. Now, that might be difficult for some of you to comprehend. How do you physically wrestle with God? Um, so if you struggle with that, then work with the idea that, that he was a metaphor, it was an angel, it was re- a representative. But, but he's not wrestling with his brother. He was expecting to wrestle with his brother, but he's wrestling with the stranger on his own. And the stranger is a representation or a physical presence of God and this shows us an awful lot about how one meets God I want to suggest to you this morning that if you have met God or if you want to meet God it's something that you have to eventually do alone it's actually possible 
uh, to have church or a religious gathering as a substitute for you meeting with God in terms of your own personal walk. You can grow up in church, and I guess we probably know people like this. They've grown up in church, and they came along the church with their parents or whatever, and uh, they participated in the youth groups and in the various activities, and they enjoyed it, but eventually, you know, they got a little bit older, and mum and dad weren't dragging them off to church anymore, and so, oh, they stopped going. And, and what had happened there? I'll tell you what had happened. They'd met God, they'd met God in the corporate gathering, probably, but they'd never met God alone. Because you can meet God in the corporate gathering and never have a personal encounter with God. This guy was left alone. You know, you can grow up in a church and it's a wonderful church and and you're well connected and it fits and you love being there. And then for various circumstances, you know, you, you, you move to another location and you go to a church there. It's not quite the same. And I don't really fit like I did back in my home church. And then, you know, over time, you, you stop going, and then eventually you go, oh, well, what's the point? And you move on. Well, what had happened? Well, you'd met God in the corporate gathering. You'd met God as, as a part of the church, but you'd never met God alone. You can come to a church because your world's falling apart. You can come to a church looking for answers because of a crisis, and you can find answers, and you can find people who love you. And, and then you start listening and after a while, you know, things start going better for you and the crisis passes and then, well, I don't need it as much as I did before and you start to drift away and what had happened, you'd met God corporately but you hadn't met God alone. Have you met God alone? Or do you have a sense of, of church? We can get all caught up, you know, in, in things like religious freedoms you know, we need to have the right to pronounce our, uh, our religious beliefs and we can get all caught up in, in what you might define as um, uh, community Christianity. Uh, we we want to be able to pray in schools and we want to be able to proclaim our faith and we want our leaders to say things like, God bless Australia, it sounds noble. And we want our children to get taught the scripture or get a little bit of church in them, a bit of religion, so they recognize that life is, is bigger than just themselves, so they can see others and, and, and reach out to others. And we can see Christianity is important for our nation. And we can see the scripture, or we can see the teachings of Jesus as important for our children. And you can be overshadowed by religion without it ever penetrating your own personal heart and I'm not saying that children don't need to hear the teachings of Jesus and I'm not saying that that religious freedoms aren't important what I am saying is that those things are all secondary folks this is the main game right here you can get caught up in the culture of the corporate the culture of the church I've even seen uh, uh, ethnic uh, uh, ethnic uh, uh, nations, if you will, that have uh, have a, a, a foundation of church in them, uh, and everybody has this incredible defence of religion, but it's never really penetrated the hearts of the individual. And you can know this because when you get on your own with God, after about ten minutes, you don't know what to say. 
If there's not a crisis, if there's not some major drama over your life, if everything's going fine, 10 minutes and I've run out of things to talk about, I really don't know how to get on my own with God. And the truth is, you need to. Because eventually, it's just you and God. Eventually, you serve an audience of one, and that's God. And, and, and you know, you might have something happen tragically in your life. You might lose a loved one, and everyone comes around, and that's comforting, it's good, it's important. But you give a little bit of time, and everybody goes home, and it's just you. And what are you going to do now with your new set of circumstances? Because you're all alone. Or maybe your world does fall apart and people, again, gather around you like they should, and that's great. But eventually, you know, it tapers off and you're on your own with your new set of circumstances and it wasn't what it once was and what are you going to do now? I've got to tell you, it's so important that you've met God for yourself alone. It's a great thing to worship with others. It's a great thing to gather. It's important. But eventually, I mean, I don't want to get too morbid here, but eventually you are going to go, leave this world. And when you do, no one's going to be standing by your side. When you do, there's going to be no spouse, no life group leader, no pastor. It's just you. It's just you and God. And you want to make sure that you've met God before that moment. It says in verse 24, so Jacob was left alone. Jacob met God when he was on his own. And it says here that he wrestled with him until daybreak. And I love this because this tells us everything right there about meeting God. Did you see it? He wrestled with him until daybreak. I got to tell you this, folks, when you meet God on your own, right, it's not all unicorns and rainbows. It's not, oh, well, let's have a coffee, God and I. It's not, oh, it's so wonderful. <laughs> when you meet God on your own, it's a wrestle, folks. You wrestle with God. Now, you might be saying right now, well, how do you wrestle with God? I mean, is that a metaphor? Like, how does that work? I'm going to teach you how to wrestle with God. You might want to write this down because if you've never wrestled with God, you've never met God. This boy, this man wrestled with God. And I'll tell you how that works. You say, how do you know? I've done some wrestling in my day. Uh, <laughs> when I was at uh, high school, I was quite a, uh, we, you know, we did all that, um, all, all that uh, Olympic wrestling stuff. And uh, you wouldn't be surprised to realise I was quite good at it, I'm sure. And uh, <laughs> so, so let me give you some, some, some hints into the world of wrestling. Number one. It's intense. Wrestling is intense, right? When the bout begins, you're not thinking about, oh, I wonder what, you know, I'm going to have a chocolate milkshake, even a Wendy's chocolate milkshake, Mark. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you're not thinking about the pretty girl who's in the science class. You're not thinking about the essay you've got to write for uh, English. You're thinking about right now how I am going to deal with this big bloke who's trying to pin me to the ground. It takes over your emotions, your mind, every part of you. It's intense, number one. Number two, it's contradictory. Whatever move you make, they're making the opposite move. 
When someone dances with you, right, and this is the way it should work, and my wife's tried to teach me, but I'm hopeless, uh, you know, the person follows you, right? She says, you follow and I lead, but I don't know where I'm going. So <laughs> there's no point. But when you see, the, the wrestling is opposite. When someone dances with you, they follow you. When someone wrestles with you, they actually contradict you. They want to pin you. And number three, it's quite painful. It can be exhausting. Let's work through these three things and, and, and let's figure out how is it that I wrestle with God. Because I don't personally think you can know God till you've wrestled with God. You might know church, uh, and that's not a bad thing. And you might understand that the, the existence of God and the theology of God and all that. You might even believe in God, but you've not really met God until you've done what we're reading about right here. Now, you personally have wrestled with God. So let's work this out and see what it, what it looks like. Firstly, this whole concept of intensity. Um, C.S. Lewis has said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, but if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And what I'm saying is this, if you're here this morning and you don't know God, you know the way to know God is to decide nothing else in your life matters. I've got to know if there's a God or not. You know what I'm saying? Like my, my retirement doesn't matter, my employment doesn't matter, my marital status doesn't matter. Only one thing that matters, is there a God? And I've got to find that out. So you've got to have that level of intensity. Or if you're a Christian here this morning and you know God, it's, your relationship with God has got to be more than just about the health of your family, you know, the security of your future. It really has to be, if there is a God, and my relationship with God is the most important thing that blankets everything else and subordinates everything else and eclipses everything else, right? God, if God is God, then everything else is merely a shadow in comparison. It's going to be that level of intensity when nothing else fills your mind. No pain, no joy, no expectation, no regret. It's God. Number one, there's that level of intensity in this <clears throat> whole idea of contradiction. Um, people today wrestle with all kinds of things, don't they? Here people, I'm wrestling with my identity, I'm wrestling with my sexuality, I'm wrestling uh, with God. But the truth is, you don't wrestle with God until God contradicts you. You might think, well, I'm questioning God. You know, I want to know God, what a God, how can you let this happen? And you can wrestle with God in that, that sense. And I'm not saying you can't question God, I'm saying you should. But I'm saying if you think that you can question God and that God doesn't question you, you're not wrestling with God, you're wrestling with a figment of your imagination. Because here's the thing. Um, is it possible, is it possible that there is a God and that God's perspective, God's view on a matter is different to a deeply, deeply emotionally held view that you have, to your deepest feelings. Is it possible that God is contrary to that? Well, the answer's got to be yes. <laughs> the answer's got to be. And if that's true, have you felt it? See, some people, they say things like this. Well, I can't believe in a God that would do this. You know, I can't believe in a God that would say, you know, send people to hell if they don't believe in Jesus Christ. Or I couldn't believe in a God that would, you know, let innocent people suffer or whatever. These ideas are so antiquated, I can't believe God would say that. 
if there's a real God, then he must be able to differ from the deepest feeling you have on a matter. And if you've never felt that in here, you've never met God. Because the truth is, how many in this room this morning here are married and you know full well when you finally meet your spouse, right, the real unfettered person, that they actually have things deep in their emotions that are contrary to you. And what are you going to do now? I thought that you agreed with everything I agreed with. (laughs) I thought you were my soulmate. (laughs) I I thought, how can two walk together unless they agree for crying out loud? That's it. I can't trust you because your deeply held emotion is different to mine. How many know you've actually never met them until you've got to that point? (laughs) Because the truth of the matter is everybody is different. And has a different point of view. And if you think God is a mirror image of you, you have a caricature of God. If you think that this particular man or woman is a mirror image of you, you have a caricature of them. You have a, you have a man or a woman in your imagination. You've not met the real person yet. One day you will and you'll be shocked. <laughs> and you'll realize that they hold views contrary to yours. And what are you going to do now? I can't trust them. I can't trust anybody. If you can't trust somebody who holds a contrary deep view to you, you will never trust anybody. It's one thing to question God, but it's another thing to have God question you. This is wrestling with God. When God says, well, hang on a minute. No, no. I disagree with you, God. And and then you've got to submit, right? Because the next thing here is, is this pain idea. And how many in this room this morning are parents and uh, you've seen your children, you've seen your children's lack of wisdom, humility and or love bring about circumstances that's caused pain in their life? You've seen it if you're a parent and maybe you've tried to stop it. Maybe you've tried to mediate the pain, mitigate the circumstances. And it's a dangerous thing to do because it's pain that, ex- exi- that, that uh, takes out, exercises the, the foolishness and brings in the wisdom. It's the circumstances of life that cause patience and love to grow. And we're dealing now with a society where people are so affluent that consequences for uh, actions are being mitigated. And as a result, people are living lives in, in relative ignorance and lack of wisdom, lack of courage, lack of capacity. Um, can, I, can we put the picture up of the, of the play gym I, I put up there? I want you to see this picture of a play gym. You see that? That's a play gym in the early 1900s. Have a look at that. That's the reason we won the Second World War right there. <laughs> the reason we won the Second World War was because we all went to, to, to recess together and... Uh, Because how many know? (laughs) Could you imagine that in a park today? (laughs) Oh, my little Johnny can't get on that. Oh, he'll kill himself. (laughs) Hey. Well, the Allied Forces won, folks, because of that right there. (laughs) Basic training, right? Let your kids feel some pain. Because one day, the the continuation of Western civilization may depend on it. (laughs) Just put that out there for what it's worth. 
And what I'm saying is, is basically this. God lets you experience the pain. Because he knows the pain will bring out the gold in you. He will bring out the courage, the love, the wisdom, the capacity within you. And sometimes we want to stop that, and God doesn't necessarily stop that for us. He wrestled with God. <clears throat> You've got to wrestle with God. You've got to be able to put everything else out of your mind, heart, and soul that is nothing else that matters but you, that, that, that God is real and is in your life. You've got to feel the contradiction of God upon the human heart and have experienced the pain that there is associated with that contradiction until you bring it in line with God. If that's not been your experience, then I don't want to sound harsh. I'm not sure you've met God. You might have God in you know, a sense of community. You might have God in a sense of church. You, know, you might come along and get your kids looked after for an hour and a half of a Sunday morning and get some ancient wisdom taught to you. And you think, oh, that's okay. That's good. Yeah, I like that. Um, uh, but the one-on-one meeting with God... Is yet to take place. So there's a there, there right there is 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 a uh, is a, a a great little process to take away with you. Go and wrestle with God. I want to look at this next verse though, because this next verse blows me away. It says, "When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. He's dislocated his hip. Now, what I find so remarkable." about this, um, this verse is, uh, the, he couldn't overcome him, right? When the man, that's, the, that's God, saw he couldn't overcome Jacob. He touched his, dislocated his hip. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> um, you know, when my kids were little, I used to wrestle them. They couldn't overcome me, right? Because I'm bigger and stronger than they. Uh, but not once did any of them ever dislocate anything in my body. <laughs> Have you ever dislocated a joint? Like it takes a fair bit of pressure, doesn't it? You know, the way we're made, our joints are pretty tight, pretty secure. Uh, I'm not going to walk up to you, and not that I would touch you on the hip, be a little inappropriate, arguably, but I, I'm not going to walk up to any of you, and, and, and no one's going to walk up to you and touch your hip and, and dislocate it, are they? What is with this verse? I've got to tell you, folks, this is one of the most profound verses. And if you're not reading the Bible, you should, you should read your Bible. Because this tells us something about God. This is a pre-runner to Jesus Christ. This person was a pre-runner to Jesus Christ, but that verse was, and I'll tell you why. Because it shows us that when God came to interact with Jacob, he lay aside his glory and power. Because if he had his glory and power, he could have overcame him in a moment. To show his glory and power, he goes back to that position for a moment, touches his hip and dislocates it. But what we see here, what we see is God coming in humility to be able to identify with man. Um, Because it takes a fair bit of force to dislocate a person's hip. But um, the response from Jacob is this. Let's read the next verse. It says, Then the man said to him, Let me go, for it's daybreak. 
nobody has seen God and lived. And God, who's wrestling with Jacob, he knows that now the day is coming, Jacob will see him and this will not go well, so he's got to go. But Jacob replies, I will not let you go until you bless me. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Do you really think that Jacob could restrain God from leaving? But what does this show you? This shows you that God wants to stay. This shows you that, that the New Testament verse that says, if you seek me, you will find me, is not some piece of religious jargon. But God wants to be with you. And, and what, what else I find remarkable about this is, has anyone in this room, don't put your hand up, but you've ever dislocated even a finger um, or, or, or a shoulder? Uh, it's, it's, it's excruciating. Uh, we used to play rugby union in this church. We had an over-35s rugby union team. I remember big Steve Momo um, swan diving to... Silly man. <laughs> he, he forgot for a moment he was nearly 50. He thought he was back in his 20s. And he swan dived to, to, um, to ground the ball over the 10-yard line. His eyes were going as well. But anyway, <laughs> and when he hit the ground, <laughs> he made this huge try. It was only 10 yards. Anyway... <laughs> He, he dislocated his shoulder, and uh, oh my goodness, what he's this big, strong, powerful Fijian guy writhing in pain on the football field. I put him in my car, and I, I took him up to the, um, to the emergency up here at Ipswich Hospital, and oh my goodness, it was hilarious. As this guy's on this, this massive Fijian guy right on this, on this, uh, um, this bed, this, this gurney, and there's this little uh, Asian doctor trying to wrench his, his shoulder back in, pull with all his might as he's screaming the place down when his wife turned up and started getting stuck into him. So I told you not to play football. You're not 20 years old anymore. I'm going to burn your football boots. It was a, it was a funny scene. <laughs> it was a funny scene. The point I was making <laughs> was that when you dislocate a part of your body, it's excruciating. In fact, here's my point. In fact, I want to suggest to you that it takes greater strength to hang on with a dislocated hip than it takes to try to prevail in the first place. It takes far, far more greatness to repent than to complain. Jacob, first off, is struggling for independence. Now he's hanging on for interdependence. I want to suggest to you that this, that this particular moment shows greater resilience and, and, and the greater measure of the man right now is he's able to hang on to the angel of the Lord, he's able to hang on to this, this, this form of God whilst his body has, has a dislocated joint than he had prior as he was trying to show his strength and he's trying to show his his capacity in, at, at, at war to be able to overcome him in, in, in the wrestle. And he says, bless me, bless me. And the, man, the next verse, the man asked him, this is great, what's your name? Oh boy, that would have hurt, wouldn't it, eh? When was the last time this guy asked for a blessing and gave his name? It was with his father and he lied. Do you think the angel of the Lord didn't know his name? 
What do you think is going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. And this is what happens when you wrestle with God, just by the way. God brings all pathways of your life together in one moment. What he's saying here uh, to, this, to Jacob when he says, what's your name? <laughs> what he's really saying is, you're not wrestling with your brother. You're not, you're not, you're not wrestling with your father-in-law, Laban. You can read that story another time. It's part of Jacob's history. And if I was to bring it to your, you're not wrestling with your children. You're not wrestling with your spouse. You're not wrestling with your ex. You're not wrestling with your parents. What he's saying to Jacob is, you're wrestling with me. What is your name? Jacob, he answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. Last time you asked a question, you answered in deception. Now you're answering in naivety. Because you're no longer Jacob, you're Israel, because you struggle with God and with humans and have overcome. Who won? The angel of the Lord or Jacob? It's a fight. You've got to have a winner, right? He's just pronounced Jacob the winner, but I want to suggest that they both won. And they both won. And you've got to get this, because this is this, the story of life is tied up right here. They both won by losing. They both won by becoming smaller, by humbling themselves. They both won. Nobody won by overcoming the other one. Nobody won because he was bigger, faster, stronger than the other one. They both won because they both humbled themselves in the end. And Jacob changes. The way up is always the way down. He tried to win with strength and stealth, and he couldn't. But in the end, he hung on with humility, and he overcame. Um, I want to suggest to you this. I think this is the great lesson from this incredible piece of ancient literature. Most of us meet God on the basis of what we can get. You know, God, I need this. God, I need that. God, can you uh, provide this for me? And uh, Jacob had lived his life like that. He lived his life getting ahead. And he'd gotten ahead. You know, he was, he was quite the deceiver. He was quite the, the deal maker. He'd done quite well. But finally, he comes to a point where he gets what the actual blessing is. And the blessing is God himself. He wants God. He doesn't want what God might get him. He doesn't want the, the trappings of living a good life. He actually wants God. And that's how he won. See, many of us, we think prayers about convincing God to give me the things I want or need to be happy, to be secure, whatever. And Jacob finally realized hanging out with God is not about what I can get. Hanging out with God is about me and God. And he was smitten. He was smitten in grace. Not enough to destroy him but enough to wake him up, enough to make him 
better and changed his name. He never walked the same again. He's now Israel. Most of you have heard of that. <laughs> Even if you don't come to church, you've heard of Israel. This is where it came from. The nation of Israel, the very name itself, came from this moment of encounter with God. Who knows what will come from your encounters with God? The point I'm making here is that it doesn't matter. What matters is that you encounter God. Jacob wasn't thinking, well, if I wrestle with God and overcome, I will have a nation named after me that will be here still in 4,000 years' time. No, that was a consequence, but it wasn't what was on his heart. What was on his heart was, I'm wrestling with God. And he was smitten, not to the point of his destruction. No, no, God will never allow you to be smitten. He will never allow you to be hurt to the point of your destruction. But I've got to tell you this, folks, there will be pain that wakes us up. And what we've got to do is work with that. What we've got to do with that is say, well, okay, God's making me stronger. He's making, he's increasing who I am. He's changing my identity. And that's exactly what happened to Jacob this day. Jacob's identity is changed and he now becomes Israel. Jacob, Jacob won. But God also won. God's plans were established. God won when he put aside his glory and came as the form of a man, a man who wrestled God. Does that remind you of something? Does it remind you of a time when God put aside his glory so that he could come and interact with man? This, of course, is teaching us strongly about Jesus. This is teaching us strongly about the one who took all of the weight of our pain, he took all of the weight of justice. He was destroyed by it so that you and I did not have to be destroyed by it. He experienced it so that you and I would be saved from experiencing it. You want to encounter God? Number one, get alone with God. Just you and God where nothing else matters. Make sure that this is the, pre- the, the, pre- the predominant, preeminent thing in your life. And number two, this is not about getting from God. It's not about, well, what God can bless me with. It's about the blessing of God in you. Get alone with him and wrestle it out and seek him. And I've got to tell you, you do this, you'll find him. You leave here this morning and you say, I'm going to wrestle with God. I guarantee you, you will find him. And you'll never be the same again. You'll walk different for the rest of your life. It will change who you are. Because you'll be one who's met, not Christianity, not the church. You've met God himself. Let's bow our heads together. We're going to pray. Just before I pray, I do want to ask the question. If you're here this morning, and I don't know everybody in the room, obviously, I don't know who's here because they were promised uh, you know, lunch if they came or if uh, you, know, you just wandered in because you were searching something. You're here this morning and, and you don't know God and you'd, you'd love to know him. I'd love to pray with you right now. I'd love to pray with you and say, yeah, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's embark on this journey. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, 
but you say in your heart, I would love to know him. If that's you, just before I pray, I'm going to pray for you as well and specifically in this moment. If that's you, just give me a wave. Just, just, give me, just raise your, your hand and give me a wave and say, yeah, that's me. And uh, you can put your hand down. I'm going to pray with you this morning and uh, believe God for you. God bless you. Yeah, someone else this morning, give me a wave and lift up your hand. God bless you, sir. Anybody else, just give me a wave this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, Lord God, this morning, you see every heart in this room. And you see the level of cry to know you intimately. The level of cry to have a relationship with you that surpasses the value of anything that this world has to offer. Lord, as my friend reaches out to you this morning, but as others reach out to you for a deeper walk and a, a, a greater revelation, and as they wrestle it out with you, Lord, I pray that as we gather here next week, Lord, that the, the worship will be that more, much more intense. Lord, that the faith will be that much greater because it's coming out of hearts that this week have had a genuine realization, a living encounter with a living God. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast.